you get the most complex and the craziest and the weirdest things and it's weird to think but it's exciting and i can't wait to receive that baby i'm you know you you know it's coming in four hours and it's just like oh my god okay i got all, all this reading and and again it's really about just the excitement of the ability that you have the skills you have to be able to deal with this very sick, complex kid. So specific, specifically talking about certain diagnoses, it, basically we cover head to toe. We really do deal with the whole uh, baby issues. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Selfie Show, you guys. We are closing out September. What is going on? I don't even know where the time is going, but before we jump into the show today, I actually wanted to give a big shout out to all of my Libras out there. Yes, you guys, we're talking star signs. Okay, suck it up, Annalise. I know you're going to listen to this and she's going to be like, seriously, Tori, you're going there. Yes, we are. Okay, happy birthday to all my Libras out there because I just, I love this. You know, I like analyzing just who we are and like the roots of who we are. So I'm definitely like a Libra Scorpio cutoff kind of girl, right? So I tend to err towards the cooperative, diplomatic, um, fair-minded, social, gracious side. Like that's definitely the Libra in me. But then I have this like really interesting cutoff where I'm also very Scorpio, like very stubborn, passionate, brave, resourceful, true friend, like very one-minded. So, you know, but anyway, happy birthday to all my Libras out there and also happy NICU Awareness Month. So this episode, you guys, is coming at a perfect time. I don't even know how this really came to fruition, but I really feel like sometimes like the stars just align. Okay, this one, this episode, the stars just aligned and I am so thrilled to bring you Dr. Prem Fort. Who is Dr. Prem? Let me just tell you. He is the NICU doc. He is a neonatologist, a YouTuber, and an Instagram curator. And today, I'm really having the honor of bringing you the neonatologist perspective. We're going to be talking overcoming challenges, the stressors that neonatologists face every day in saving some of the tiniest, most vulnerable patient populations. And today, we're really going to be breaking down the role of a NICU attending. We're going to be talking about Dr. Prem's journey to becoming a neonatologist, preparing for the worst, hoping for the best, developing skills to care for medically complex patients. You guys, we're going to be deep diving today, and I'm really excited about this because honestly, we provide so many resources for you. And really today, our goal is to help bridge the gap to help pull that curtain back and to really be the middle ground between provider and patient. And I think there's some really great topics, some really great areas that we highlight for both the provider as well as for NICU moms. And I think this is just a really great episode for all of us to learn from. I think Dr. Prem really has this well-rounded approach to being an attending and understanding what it's like to not only be a parent and, you know, also a provider and the things that we face as providers and how to really you know, connect those dots. And I think today is such a great conversation for that. And to round out NICU Awareness Month, I just think this is a great episode for you guys. And without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Prem to the show. 
so excited to have you on today. Uh, this is like such an interesting thing because I feel like you and I connected recently and I just, I could tell right away, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to get you on the podcast. Well, thank you so much to me. It's an honor. Again, thank you so much for inviting me to be on. I oh am so excited and stoked with all the things, all the cool things we're going to be talking about. Yeah, pleasure is mine today. So let's start off this, um, this episode with a bang. What's one tip you could give to an upcoming healthcare provider? I'm talking, you know, your doctors, your nurses, your RTs. What's one thing that you could leave them? Well, I, I think one thing, if you're really thinking about, you know, doing medicine uh, is is of any kind and working with with uh, any any type of patients. And I, I would say, and I don't know if this is a tip, but I would say, don't do it for the money. I mean, I, I know, especially again, from a, looking at it from a doctor's standpoint, I do remember, you know, some, some folks that were in college thinking about, you know, should I do medicine? And, and you know, it, it's, you would ask them and it's like, well, my grandfather did it, my father did it, all my whole family's doing it. So I'm kind of going into it just because, or I'm going into it because I want to find a field where you're able to make money. And, and this, is, this is not, I mean, there are so many things that you can do outside of medicine and and make even more money. This is one of those fields when you go into medicine again of any, you know within any type of field nursing, RT, anything you you look within medicine. It is it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to get just to work. You know, all the training, you know, Tori, you know very well all the things you've had to go through to get to where you are, it's a lot of work, but it is the most satisfying. If you're doing it for the right reason, it is the most satisfying job you can get uh, because ultimately, and I hate to go cliche, but ultimately it's not a job when you go in there and you're really making a difference to people's lives, adults or babies. So I like going, I want to go way back with you. Like, let's start at the very beginning. So how did you become a pediatrician, neonatologist? Where did your medical journey really begin? Yeah, absolutely. So what's interesting is I can tell you the quick answer to that. My wife told me to do it. Uh, but, oh. but, but now let me explain now. Let me, you know, woman, you know, female power and all that. No, ultimately she, she said, you know, you, and, and we can talk more, you know, in depth about this, but it really is a, you know, I think your personality sort of, you know, takes you where you want within medicine. Once you've decided, okay, medicine is what I want in my life and you don't know what to do. I think a lot of your personality will begin to kind of shift you begin to go with a certain certain crowd, if you will, and that crowd tends to go to a certain way. So I will tell you, initially, I wanted to do, uh, do actually cardiothoracic surgery. I, I thought I, I definitely wow. wanted to do something. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was really cool and, you know, TV and all this and that. But ultimately, it's it's that feeling that you get. And it to me, it goes way back when I was 12 years old. My sister was born preemie. Uh, she was um, born in England as, as a preemie baby. And, and because I was 12 years old, I vividly remember going to see her in the NICU, going to visit her, seeing her in the incubator. And I, I kind of joke with her. She she was all hairy. She had the, the hairiest back I've ever seen. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, I, I give her a hard time with, the, with, with her boyfriends. But um, it's um, so I think innately there was that drive there was still that internal part of me that wanted to have have something to do with babies I didn't really know it until I went into pediatrics and I did my rotation as a third year and 
I would spend the whole day, it would be, you know, exhausting and going through your training. I would come home and my wife would say, wow, how was your day? Oh, I loved it. I saw this, saw that. You know, I, even though I was physically and mentally tired, I was the happiest I could be. And she, she said, you're going, you're going to do pediatrics. And then it wasn't until my fourth year where I actually rotated through the NICU that I realized this is a field that's completely unique, that you're caring for chronic illness, if you will, but you're also caring for acute care, yet you still have continuity of care because you have babies that are there for months, and then you're not just treating a baby or a patient, you're treating the whole family, and you get to use your hands, and you get to save lives. I mean, I could go on and on. To me, there were so many, so many positives after that rotation, my fourth year, I basically said, this is what I want to do. But like I said, uh, I'm going to give credit to my wife because she called it first. So talk to me about your upgrade, your upbringing. What was that like? Where are you from? First of all, that's the big question. Where are you from? Absolutely. I know. On my, on, on my Instagram, I have like three flags on there and it's the truth. I was born in uh, Lima, Peru. Uh, South America and uh, lived there till like uh, seven years or so. Then my father went to do, he's a physician as well. He went to get uh, a, a degree. Uh, he got a scholarship to get a degree in England. So we actually moved to England, was there for seven years, came back to Peru for a few years, graduated high school and basically came here for college. And, you know, I started out live in a community college. Uh, when I first came to the, to the States, we didn't have the means to be able to, it's very different in other countries, the way you go through your, your college and your training. It's, you know, you don't expect to, but there you pay cash. Basically you go in, you write a check and then you write your semester. You know, you, it's very hard to do that as a foreign medical graduate to come in. And so basically the first year I worked, I, I, I was studying at a community college, which was an amazing experience. I made amazing friends and, and, and just, just a completely different style to, of education that I'd been used to that really, really helped me kind of move to being more of an adult. And I thought it was awesome. Then um, and that's how I started. Now, my, my, uh, my, my third flag, so I got a Peruvian there. Uh, after being here uh, for a little bit, I was able to, I was, I was just honored and, and happy, ecstatic to be able to become an American. Uh, I, I love this country. When I came to this country, one of the things that I, that I really love about this place is that America is everybody. And there are so many cultures and, and, and so many beliefs. It's such a conglomerate of cultures, which, which makes it so, uh, so amazing. And so I was extremely happy to become American. Uh, but I do have my, my grandparents are Swiss. And so I was able to get uh, Swiss citizenship through them as a young kid. And so, yeah, I get, I get, I get to play a little bit James Bond with my, uh, with my, my password, but not really. I, you know, I love I, that. Wait, so how many? Do you speak two languages or three? I, I would, I, I can say I speak, yeah, two, two and three quarters. I would say, you know, Spanish, English for sure, very, you know, fluent. I speak sort of uh, intermediate, advanced French, and and very chewed up German. I love that. See, I think that's so cool, though. I mean, I, the one thing it's interesting, because my upbringing, so I'm half Mexican, my dad's full Mexican. And but my dad's old school, he's 80. And I'm 31. So he was 49. When I was born back in the 80s. And, you know, kind of back then, 
culture, I feel like in America wasn't as um, accepting of like my dad's mindset was you're American, you speak English. And my mom was a white girl. So she she didn't speak Spanish. So to my, my dad, to him, it was like, you know, he was thinking he was doing me a big service by ingraining me so strongly in the American culture. But it's funny because now I'm like, I literally kick myself because I'm like, why didn't I encourage my dad to help me be bilingual? I think that's the number one thing we should be, especially here in the United States, is have another language. And I think it's fascinating. And it is. So. I, I can, Sorry to interrupt you there, but I can tell you in, in everywhere else in the world, at least I can tell you definitely in South America, we look up to the U.S. as as the number one and the number one everything. And so, you know, I remember even when it's your birthday, one of the coolest things is to actually go and have a party at McDonald's just because <laughs> just because you get a little yeah. bit of whiff of the American air, I guess. Oh, you know? <laughs> yeah. Get those fries, the, those McDonald's fries. Oh, I'm so American. Yeah. So um, I want you to walk me through. I want to get very micro here on your steps to becoming a doctor. Like, talk to me about your schooling and, you know, what was that like for you? So again, I mean, I took a little bit of an unconventional route just because of the fact that I came as a foreign medical graduate, uh, well, actually a foreign person before I, I went into medicine. In general, the, the steps to be able to get into medicine if you were you know, born here is you go through your, your college degree, your four-year college degree. And, and a lot of people think you have to be pre-med. And the, the great thing about, again, just the, the, the options that you have within medicine is that you could actually be, and I can tell you, one of my good friends in college was actually a cheerleader. Uh, and and you know, I think he was doing sports medicine or something like that. And then eventually went and applied to medical school. So you can really do any career as long as you fulfill certain requirements to be able to enter medical school. So you do your four years college, then you actually do your four years of medical school. And medical school, again, in this country, you can do it as a DO or you can do it as an MD. And so there is really no difference in the actual schooling itself, except that osteopathic medicine, which is that deal, they tend to be a little bit more, they, they, have, they, they deal more holistically on the body itself as, to, as opposed to where we go really kind of in-depth with the, with, with the you know, crazy anatomy and medicine and all that. But as far as the schooling is very, very, very similar. And it's also completely... Uh, when you apply to residency and residency is now you're looking at specializing yourself. When you graduate from medical school, you are a doctor, but you really haven't established an area of focus. And that's where that specialty thing comes in. So residency is training yourself to be specialized in one field, general fields such as OBGYN, pediatrics, internal medicine, surgery, and so on and so forth. And you can stay right there. You can be obviously a, your, your typical OBGYN. You go, they've done their, their, their uh, years of training. Depending on the specialty, it could be a three-year training such as pediatrics, OBGYN four years, dermatology four years, surgery can be up to five years and so on and so forth. And then you can just kind of practice general medicine within that field as a specialist. Or you can then go on to do something uh, called a subspecialty. So that is now an even more focused area within the specialty. So in neonatology, as you've gone through your four years of res- uh, four years of medical school, three years of residency where you graduate as a general pediatrician, you now have to focus on neonatology, which is the field of the intensive care unit for babies, essentially, 
or you're dealing mostly with premature babies or babies that are born with defects or babies that unfortunately are come out and have some problems. So that is the field of neonatology. That is a called a fellowship and that is a three-year trade. So that's, if you think about it, when you put it together from when you start, you know, first grade until high school, you pretty much have to double that to be able to become an attending neonatologist. However, it is very fun because you're not, the book stuff is a few years. A lot of it, you're really kind of working on the job and getting a lot of training on the job. Right. So in duration, in terms of duration, you're looking at, is it 12 years? Yes, approximately 12 years. If you don't have any gaps, if, you know, some people take a year or two to do research or you can, you know, do some study abroad. So I want to get very specific here about your role as an attending. So what does your day-to-day look like as an attending in the NICU setting? Yep. So they're depending on, and again, the great thing about neonatology is that there are so many different ways of doing neonatology. So there is uh, sort of private practice neonatology and there's academic neonatology. When I talk about academic neonatology is what you mostly see on TV, which is where you have rounds. So in the morning, and I'll mention uh, academic and I'll go into private in a minute, but in the morning, you basically come in. What I do is before I actually start rounds, I look through the chart we do get our sign in, which is basically the night doctor or the night team will tell you the events of the sickest patients, if you will. Uh, it, when you are in, a, in an academic center, if, you're, if your unit is very big, we, ours is close to 100 beds. So you can wow. imagine we wouldn't be able to, yes, we have 97 beds, so we wouldn't be able to sign out. Everybody you just sign up, sort of sign out the sickest patients and what their issues uh, may have been or may have not been during, during the night. Then I go in, review the charts, look through the labs, look through the x-rays, and prepare myself. And what I basically what you want to do as an attending is arrive on rounds and have an idea. I kind of, when, I, when I'm teaching the residents, I tell them, look, have an idea of what your plans are, go- are going to be, but also be open-minded. So I have 80% of my plans in my head of, I've seen the labs, I've seen the x-rays, this is what I would like to do with a patient. But that's where you, the person who's presenting to you, so these are rounds where you're standing in front of trainees. These are your residents, your medical students. You have your nurse. Uh, you have your respiratory therapist. You have, depending on, you know, the, again, the, the, the size of your academic uh, unit, you have several people around you. And they're all giving you information. Everybody's discussing what happened overnight, where we are, are we getting any type of special respiratory uh, support? If you're, if you're intubated, if you have a breathing tube and you have to be on mechanical ventilation, what are the settings, what are the labs? Once you gather all that information, it's really not about me making the decision. At that point, like I said, I've come up with 80% of the plan and that's where you bring back and you bring in your team to make sure that everybody is buying in to the decision, that the decision is made as a family, if you will, for that patient. And, and by the way, obviously, if you have the family there, I always say that, you know, they're the most important members of your team when you round because it's their baby. So the decisions you come in, you put together, you then bring it back to the family and make sure they're understanding. And so that's once you do your rounds, you basically go back. And again, depending on, on how your flow is, you may be examining patients, you may be talking with the families. 
I do research, so I spend uh, you know several uh, afternoons looking through research data, making sure studies are going correctly, speaking or getting on on Zoom, speaking with other families, and that's for the most part that that's your academic model. Private practice very similar, except you may not have all the team around you when you do rounds. It may be just you and the nurse or nurse practitioner. Do you speaking um, from the provider standpoint? Do you have a favorite procedure that you like to do? Like something that you're just like, okay, I like, this is my jam. Yeah, I've, uh, that's a good question. I've always, always, always enjoyed everything respiratory. Uh, it's, it's kind of the area of research that I do. I love everything about the respiratory part. And therefore, I will say intubation, putting a breathing uh. tube in. And, and the, 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 the great thing about being an attending now is that usually by the time we get to do it, it's gone through several levels of people trying and so it's very challenging by the time it gets to me. And so as usual, I love a good challenge. And so, you know, sometimes we get lucky and we get an easy one, but most of the times it's a challenging one. And, and again, that's where you use your, your knowledge and your skills to really, it, you're doing that procedure, you're saving a life. And it, it, it's such an emotional, such a, you know, cool experience. And so dramatic, especially if you have a family there, it's such a, moment that is surreal for so in so many ways yet once uh, it takes a couple of millimeters and once it goes in life is back i mean it's just it's crazy how much even like we'll say something like pull back the et tube by 0.25 you know and that literally will completely fix your problem baby changes 100 percent, and that's why it's uh, you know, it's it's such a cool field where you can see, and I, I, again, I, you, you can tell I love neonatology. Yeah. You, you, it's immediate satisfaction. It's a field of immediate satisfaction. Very few things do we need to really wait around for. A lot of the times, you get to fix it. You get to do it right there and then. Yeah, it is kind of insane to me how how quickly the things that we do, you can see the results almost immediately. Do you, as far as like procedures? Um, what are the main procedures that you do as an attending? So you do intubations, line placement. Yes, we do obviously uh, put umbilical lines. So again, inserting sort of you know central lines into the umbilical cord or, or the umbilical vessels. Uh, we do chest tubes, and and again, that's more. It, you have the opportunity because I'm in a big academic place. You know, most of those procedures are usually done already by a nurse practitioner, a resident, a fellow, an intern. So different different levels of people usually have done that procedure. But I, again, I still, when it becomes challenging, when when they're unable to do so, I do get to do them, and and it is again, you know, it's kind of a weird to say that it's, it's fun from a medical standpoint. It yeah. is no fun from a psychological, hey, this is a baby, you know, and you save that baby is it's it's magical. What's interesting, because, you know, I've tapped into this a little bit and talked a lot more about it very openly about. So I think it's interesting being in the social media space, such as you and I and talking about these things from a provider standpoint, and also thinking, you know, what we do on the daily is actually very heavy. Right. And I think we actually don't talk about that a lot. We don't talk about the fact that like here we are working with very sick infants, but it's interesting because I'm drawn to the sick ones. Right. Like I like the intubated, sedated, lots of drips. I prefer a little bit more complexity, cardiac kids, you know, the kids that come in. That's what I prefer from a provider standpoint now from and like taking it out of that role. Like it's scary, you know, and talking and, and being able to present it 
to the general public and talk about it as, you know, this is what we do and this is how, um, you know, we're saving lives every day and this is what the picture of what we look like and how we help support our families. And, you know, it's sort of an interesting dynamic of, of being able to be relatable and talk about it and not make it so scary. Um, and, you know, to explain what we do every day, I think it's important and to talk about. I think it's great. And again, I, this, this is why it's so wonderful, Tori, that you have this venue that helps out so many, both sides, from a healthcare provider, from a family standpoint, you really have seen how you really present both sides. And this is such a great platform. Yeah. And I f- equally feel very, very lucky to have someone like you on. Can you speak to maybe the complexity of the diagnosis and the triaging and you know what you see in the NICU setting as an attending? We, and again, the, the NICU is a really scary place. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, you, you do not, you can't minimize the emotions that happen in that place. But like you just said, the excitement of hearing, uh, we are a, a, a transfer center. So we actually get not only babies that are local, regional, national, we actually get international babies. We, we have uh, the ability to bring in, fly in patients from all over the world. And so you get the most complex and the craziest and the weirdest things. Mm. And it's weird to think, but it's exciting. And I can't wait to receive that baby. I'm, you know, you, you know, it's coming in four hours and it's just like, oh my God, okay, I got all, all this reading. And, and again, it's, it's, it's really about just the excitement of the ability that you have, the skills you have to be able to deal with his very sick, complex kids. So specific, specifically talking about certain diagnoses, it, basically we cover head to toe. We really do deal with the whole uh, baby issues. If, you have, uh, if you're born with a congenital problem of the brain where you may have a very little brain and a lot of it is fluid, you're really having to, and, and again, it, I always say it takes a village from the nurse from everybody, but also your subspecialist, your other colleagues. In this case, for example, you need a neurosurgeon. You immediately, you know, have to call and let them know I've got this baby. You know, it's going to require surgery immediately. I need you at the bedside. It's coming from so and so place. And so they, we really do have to work together for these type of diagnosis. Same thing. If a baby is born with a congenital heart defect where there may be a problem with the valves, it may be a problem where they're missing a chamber. You, you, you know this is left hypoplast syndrome, right hypoplast, different things. So you need to have your cardiologist there with you at the bedside. What, what I think is really tough for a lot of folks is that these sometimes I, I am lucky and, again, honored to be able to work in such a big place where I can literally call somebody and see them within a minute in my unit there are so many places that don't have that. And there are so many situations of these babies that are born out in very small community hospitals. And the last thing you can do is second guess. You, what I usually try to do, I usually call, and, or as I'm talking to the physician over there, it may be just a general pediatrician, not even a neonatologist caring for these first babies. And you thank them for whatever they could do. Yes. Because it's so easy for us to say, well, I would have totally done this A, B, and C. We're trained for those really crazy cases. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Okay, so I've worked in several different NICUs, and I've talked about this actually quite a few times where 
I am more nervous and uh, and um or on my toes in the level two NICUs than I am even in a level three or level four because you don't have the resources, you don't have the RTs who work with um, you know, a 24 weeker who came in who needs, you know, just the right amount of CPAP and, you know, or the right decisions from a pediatrician of when to intubate, when to not, when to put in those lines. It is really nerve wracking to work in areas where, you know, I don't have the resources that I'm used to. And it actually, I feel like has made me a better nurse when I've worked in those situations because you get really good at getting resourceful. You get better at your assessments. You get better at not relying on people. And you really have to be able to make those minute by minute decisions. And you're right, it's really easy to look back on something and say hindsight 2020. Well, this is what I would have done. Well, really, is it because you literally have minutes and seconds to make those decisions. And it's really interesting, because I've humbled myself by working in some of those units. And it's it's really a great, I think, for an, from a NICU nurse perspective, I think it's really great. And I'm sure from an attending, it would be too. But it is a really great thing to appreciate when you're in a center where you have all these resources. Absolutely. And we do, we actually, as part of our group, we cover, again, I'm 95% of the time in the big center, but we do cover all the way down to level ones, which is basically just your regular nursery. And you're so right. I Sometimes I sleep less in, yeah. the, in the smaller hospitals. Yeah. I'm checking my page or I'm checking my phone, making sure I haven't been called all day. I'm so used to being called yeah. for other stuff. Uh, but you, you, you're absolutely right. And, and again, those people who work out in those or who work, sorry, in those smaller hospitals, I mean, you know, bless them and amen, because they, they really are the front lines. And, and, and you obviously, again, when you have all the tools and all the specialties in the big place, it's so easy for us to forget there are folks out there that really have very little to work on. And sometimes you have to use what I call MacGyver medicine. Uh, I know, you know, for, for those older uh, uh, folks listening to this, you know exactly what I mean. You use a little bubble gum, a little cardboard, you know, so yeah, it's it's a little bit like that. It's, it's scary, but, you know, that's why you don't second guess. You praise, you say, you think, you get that baby, however you can get it to your big hospital. And same thing I would say with any moms that, that would ever have any concern or are a high risk, you do want to make sure you deliver in a big standard because again, we have all the tools to be able to help babies out. Well, and I think there's another thing too, to be, I give a huge um, accolades to primary care uh, pediatricians and even postpartum nurses, because oftentimes those are the people that are catching the things like, oh, this baby has a murmur or, oh, the, you know, something about the circulation doesn't look right. And then they're the ones referring to us or, you know, in primary care when they're catching the babies who are hyperbilly and, you know, their billy comes in and it's, you know, 28 and we're doing borderline transfusions. You know, it's interesting because those are the people that often catch the things and so I have very huge accolades to all of the primary care physicians and I will second and NPs that, and PAs. Second that 100%. Tori, mm-hmm. I didn't tell you my little secret, but I was actually a pediatrician before I went into uh, neonatology. So I was out in the field as a general pediatrician. And I'm telling you, I am. there are so many times where I say I'm so happy to be in the intensive care unit dealing with these babies because out there, I mean, it is real tough. Uh, like you said, you may have, you know, 30, 40, 50 patients the whole day 
one of them could be some congenital heart disease. You got to figure out who it is and you only have 20, 15, 20 minutes to do so. And everybody's kind of waiting for you in the waiting room and there's all these nutty noses. It is, it is a mad world out there. I agree with you 100%. Mad props to those pediatricians, to those nurse practitioners, to those PAs who see the patient out because it is really tough. What do you think makes a good NICU attending? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think just being a good listener, to be honest with you, and just going in, going in and recognizing that this is, to me, it's not a hard job only because I have the people around me. Uh, it's, it's such a team effort. It, you cannot go in and be paternalistic and say, this is what we're doing today. I don't care what you think. It's, it won't happen. It won't work. But believe me, there are people who try that. But if your nurse is not buying into what you want to do, it's not going to go well for the... Yes, you know, Tori. You know how it is. Oh, I've had my moments, I'm sure. we. I've had attendings that are like, I literally hate you so much right now. And I'm just like sticking my ground. No, but it's it's the it's reality. Right. And, and you know what? We are all in that field because we want to help the babies, but we're also a little bit type A personalities, right? We, we are in that field in the intensive care unit because we're all a little bit like that. We think we are right. And we want to do what's right for the baby. And so we are going to put our foot down a little bit. But, you know, if everybody's putting their feet down, it's going to hurt a lot of feet. Totally. I think that's a really interesting dynamic, right? So because you and I have talked a lot about this where um, I feel very lucky to work in two facilities where I do feel very supported, right? I feel that one of the facilities I work at is, um, you know, we're a consult center and we're level four NICU. Um, another one is a level three NICU, and I do feel really well respected, but it's interesting because I think that that dynamic alone literally can make or break, you know, your f- workflow and, and outcomes for the babies. And I think that's a big thing that we are really on the forefront of, you know, now nurse led rounds. I know a lot of hospitals are really moving towards this idea of having nurse led rounds. And to me, that's more of a team dynamic. I think actually what that's doing is it's not even about the nurse. It's more about, you know, okay, let's hear it from the RT. Let's hear it from the nutritionist. Let's hear it from the pharmacist. And I think that is is what makes great outcomes. And I think we're really on the forefront of this. Um, and, I, and I'm glad for it. I think just as a whole, as a team, it just makes everything better for the patient and the, and the families. Absolutely. And, and I think this is something that uh, we, as an attending, you sort of mature within medicine. Uh, I, I, this, I'm on my sixth year doing this, and I can tell you when I first started out, there was a little bit more of, I want to kind of do it my way. I want to do it this way because this is the way I've been trained. This is the way I learned. And it didn't go well. And so you learn in time that, and, and I can tell you as recently as probably last week, you know, I may have had a situation where I really want to do it, but I really needed to make sure that the team was on board with my decision. And at first they weren't. And we kind of talked about it. I, I went through the education. Uh, I went through understanding why everybody was against it. We finally reached the point and, and we, we, we finally, okay, I think everybody bought in. We tried it and it didn't work. So, uh, you know, <laughs> such is life. 
Such is life. That's life, though. And, and okay, wait, can I speak to that, too? Because that's medicine, right? So I appreciate that. And I think that's great because and we don't appreciate that enough. Like, let's let's let the medical team or let's talk about medicine and, and different ways to try things. And like, if it doesn't work, okay, we're gonna try something else. And I think that's great. Yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, it was a humbling moment. I went back to the nurse and said, you know what, you were right. But I said, but I still would have done it the same way uh, if if it were to happen again i would do it the same way okay also <laughs> this is so funny because i literally you know the situation i'm talking about i had a situation a couple weeks ago where i stuck my ground and i was like i really feel this needs to happen before we send this baby home well sure enough we found something and it was funny because the attending didn't want to come back and say something, but the fellow came back and said, hey, Tori, thank you for doing that. Like, you know, we we don't know what it is we found, but we found something. And so it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, come I'm, on. You know, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, come on, give me a little credit here. But it's interesting because I do, I can validate where you come from for the medical side and you say, look, like, this is what I think it's telling me. And I don't agree with that. And, you know, I think there's this, um, the dialogue should happen more often where, you know, we're open about, hey, like, I don't always agree, or it's not something that's going to go perfect. But let's try this. And I think that's something where we do get a little stuck in our ways in the NICU. Um, that's kind of a common thing, I would say. But it's I love it when you have the open minded team who's like, all right, I'm not going to agree with that, but let's try it this way first. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, we'll try something else. So, but I think that's a really... And the nurse was very, very, very cool about that, you know. And, and once you kind of, you know, bring in your... You, the thing is that you, you've got to make sure you you buy into the idea only because you, what you're trying to do is right and you've got to have a good understanding as to why you're doing it. Nobody, nobody wants, and nobody is in there to ever harm a baby, right? So I think there's so many different ideas and ultimately there are different ways of doing things. And so you have to, and, and, and again, as a, as a team leader, if you will, as the attending, you have to be so open to hearing different ideas and being okay because there are so many different ways. But at the same time, ultimately, I hate to say this, but ultimately the signature on that paper is is final and it's yours. And so this is what sometimes I kind of have to discuss and, and, and you know, rarely do I ever get to, to that point. But sometimes you have to say this because ultimately if you're in the front, you know, if you're in a court of law and somebody says, well, why did you decide to do this? You can't say because nurse so-and-so didn't want to do it or because so-and-so wanted me to do it. You've got to defend every single thing that you do with good physiology, with good backgrounds. But at the same time, they know me down in the cafeteria really well. Every time I get a chocolate chip cookie, they said, uh-oh, what did you do wrong? Because I, I, when I, when I, when I, hey, I, I'm, it happens. I, <laughs> you, you need know, that shirt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just bring you're up a, telltale a few sign. chocolate. I, yeah. I had, <laughs> the we, got, we got brownies the other day. Got, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean that every time I do wrong, I'm bringing in food, but. I love that. I love that. No, it's, you know, it, I, I agree with that though, because it's interesting that um, I was just talking to one of my preceptees about this the other day and something to bring up. And I do think it's important for future providers or providers in general, the whole idea of charting and, you know, backing up or backing up what you're what you're saying. Right. And I think it is interesting because we are in that line of work where I think it's like up to 21 years, someone can come back and pull a lawsuit. And it is important to really think about what it is we're doing in general first and then 
on the nursing side, the charting is a huge big thing, right? So doing it accurately. And I'm really, really, when I talk to my preceptees about this, this is really important to talk about because, you know, you don't think about it until you're slapped with a lawsuit. I have a really great uh, nurse, my one of my girlfriends who she had a situation that um, a family pulled a lawsuit on on a patient that she had taken care of. And it was really the thing that saved her was her charting. And it's crazy because you don't really think about that as as an aspect, but it's a really big aspect in healthcare. I mean, we, you can, you know, you never know when that situation is going to arise. And I think it's a good thing to be able to sit there and be like, okay, why am I doing this? You know, really think about the diagnosis, really understand what you're doing. And it has taken me time, I think, as a nurse, like those, that takes years of experience as it does, I'm sure, on the medical side, on the medical team, you know, it takes time to really like understand those dynamics. Um, but it's important to talk about. That's a big piece of what we do. If you have been a Selfie Podcast listener, this is not new news to you. There is no better time to be talking about this. And I'm talking about mental health. I know far too many healthcare providers, including doctors, nurses, RTs, struggling through anxiety and PTSD. Working through this pandemic has really taken a toll on everyone's mental health. And this is honestly something I've been working through as well and finding the resources that truly help and are efficient, effective, and easily accessible are key to my life. And I'm talking better health, you guys. Better health has been featured on NBC, New York Times, WSJ, Men's Journal, Huffington Post, and the like. And let me just tell you why I like better health. So better health offers access to licensed, trained, experienced, and accredited psychologists, marriage and family therapists, clinical social workers, and board licensed professional counselors. Let me give you the deets. So you go through a series of questions online to personalize your experience and a therapist who fits your needs and your preferences from their network of over 7,000 accredited experienced counselors will match to you. Whether you're working through stress, anxiety, relationships, parenting, depression, doesn't matter. PTSD, anxiety, working through this pandemic. You guys, let me just tell you, this is the best resource I can possibly offer you. And you guys know how I feel about this. Mental health is worth the investment. So if you guys are interested in trying this out, head over to betterhelp.com forward slash selfie to get 10% off your first month when you go to try it. And let me tell you guys, I've used my own code, okay? So I've been using BetterHealth for the past couple months. And for the first month, I was talking to someone on the weekly. And now I'm doing once a month check-ins. And it's just been super helpful for me. I just really like talking to someone and having someone literally on my phone accessible. They have an app so you can talk to your therapist anywhere, anytime. The app is amazing. It's super easy, efficient, and this is affordable. This is more affordable than traditional counseling. All right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive back into this amazing show. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's hard sometimes. And you know this, especially because you like to pick the really difficult cases. Sometimes you don't have time to chart during a day. 
I can tell you, I, I hardly ever finish my notes at work. I'm always taking, you know, my my you know the, my stuff home to be able to get the notes done at home or I do it the next day. It's it's very hard, but I I agree with you. What you have to do is consciously understand that don't do the paperwork because you've got to do it. There are two reasons for it. Number one, like you said, yes, you know. Also, you don't want to be thinking I'm doing it because I may be sued. You want to be able to do it because it's it's good, but because it's the right thing to do. But also, it's communication. And I can tell you, for us, it's so key. When we have a situation at night and we don't really know what's going on, where do we go? Where do we turn to? The chart. We go to the the chart and we look yeah. at the night nurse's note that said the baby had this issue and it was happening during a feed. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I feel a little bit better. Maybe just a little episode with feeds. Right. As opposed to, uh oh, wait, no, there may be infection because she said that the baby was looking pale and lethargic. Uh oh, no, this could be infection. Let's start. So a lot of the things that we do are thanks to, you know, the nurses, whether, I mean, it's great if you have them during the day because you go and approach them and, hey, tell me more about what happened to the patient. But a lot of the charting is usually happening after the fact. And so you're dealing with something that may have happened overnight. So, yes, yeah, so key, definitely for the, for the, you know, medical legal, but just right. in general, good communication. So something that I feel like um, I'm really personally very interested in and I have this growing interest in it over the, over the course of, I would say, seven years and now eight years going into it is this idea that, you know, one in nine babies is born prematurely. I think it's, it's a staggering number. I've talked about this several times, so much to the fact where, you know, I've teamed up with nonprofit organizations to help, you know, support NICUs in this cause. But I, I don't know if you can speak to this a little bit because it is a little bit more on the OB side. But do you feel like there are things, you know, what are your thoughts on this? You know, we have a staggering number. It, 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 it's, uh, it's amazing, right? It, it really is. Um, the, the, the number is it, it just thinking about it, you know, a room of 10 babies, you know, one of them is going to be, it's, it's, it's amazing to think about. But I can tell you, let's speak to what we're going through right now with coronavirus and COVID. Uh, there is, it, it, there are data that is showing, there's data showing that actually moms who have coronavirus are leading to, you know, more premature babies. We're still gathering data because actually it goes back and forth. And a little bit of that is because we still haven't delivered the moms that haven't delivered. So it won't be until probably next year where we gather all the data to say, okay, well, in the big scheme of things, maybe prematurity wasn't as bad as we thought it was. But as of now, you're seeing up to 20, 25% prematurity in these. And we've seen it ourselves personally in our hospital. We've seen, you know, prematurity because of coronavirus. So there's one example. Basically, it, to me, prematurity is nature's way of saying, okay, you need to get out. It's, it's uh, this environment's not good for you. Nature's wise, she's amazing. She knows when the environment's not good, you need to get out. And so that's the big umbrella term as to what leads to this. You know, this is one of the hardest things to see is that there are so many things in medicine that through the years and through decades, it's advanced, it's improved. We're still seeing prematurity. We're still seeing approximately the same number. In fact, there are more preemies are happening. Now, again, everything is back and forth. You can see the data, you can turn it around different ways. That means we're doing better in being able to allow babies, premature babies to survive. In, in the 60s and, and or in the times with Kennedy, 
babies that were 34, 35, 36 weeks were dying. Those are now fairly easy for us to deal with. Now dealing more with your, you know, the, the, the edge of viability, that sort of 22, 23 week preemies, that's a really, really tough situa situation. So again, prematurity is one of those things that is here to stay. Are there things that, that cause prematurity, that actively cause prematurity? Sure, smoking. We know that certain maternal diseases, such as diabetes, uh, chronic hypertension, chronic, yes, high yeah. blood pressure, you know, preeclampsia, developing blood, you know, high blood pressure during the, the gestation. All these things, again, it basically signals to nature that um, something's not right. We need to go ahead and expel before something bad happens. Unfortunately, of, of course, this sometimes happens before we even have the, the right gestation to, to, to give the baby a chance. This ha this happened, if this is happening before 22, some places 21 weeks, there's no chance for survival. Yeah, so um, I mean, kind of along that bloodline, because you know, how do you feel like you handle the hard moments or the hard days? Because not every day in the NICU is a slam dunk for us. I mean, we, you know, every day is, you know, you have some days where it's great and it's, our outcomes are fabulous, but how do you handle the days that are imperfect? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And there, there's so many happy days. It's funny because a lot, I'm sure this happens to you, but a lot of the time you say, well, I work in the NICU, the, usually a lot of responses, oh, that's so hard. That's so sad. No, usually there's so many great days. That's yes. the, the majority is actually great days. But you're right. There are some bad days. Unfortunately, we work in the intensive care unit. It is intense and it is filled with premature and sick babies. So how do you deal with that? I think a lot of it is just your own personal family values. There's really no specific thing that anybody has to do or can do. Personally, I, I can tell you when going through a situation like this, approaching a family, it's not only that there is a bad thing happening in the NICU. What's hard as, uh, as an attending and, and, and as a nurse, when you're caring for a very sick child that may be dying or may be close to, or unfortunately you've made the decision that you know you, we cannot allow the baby, that the baby can't survive anymore, that part is so hard. There's no training, there is nothing ever that will make you feel normal or, or prepared to go to a family to let them know we cannot continue. Your baby is giving me signals. And that's honestly, to me, it's, you just got to be honest. You, you're, you're completely open. And a lot of it, it's, it, it, you've seen this enough. I've, I've seen enough of these situations. A lot of the time, it's the babies telling you what to do. I, 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 I did a live session once with, with, with a family and they asked me, how do you make that decision? You don't. The babies tell you. You got to listen to them. The babies are telling you enough is enough. And so you just got to be open. Let, let your heart out and, and be honest. If, uh, sometimes with a family, I don't know them very well. I respectfully stand at a, at a corner, back off, you know, let them have their time. Families that I know well, that I've established a rapport, I'll be crying with them. I'll be, well, you know, right now in COVID you can, but you know, I'll be Especially when you have invested interest or time with them, you know, it's, 
you become part tough. of the family. I mean, I know a lot of the, the, with these families that are there, again, we talked about that kind of chronic and the continuity of care. A lot of these families, I, I know by, you know, first name. I even, after a while, I tell them, like, just call me Prem. You know, you, you, I mean, you've seen me five months every single day. So, you know, it's like family. And, and, and to see them lose a child, you feel nowhere, anywhere near the pain that they're going through, but you feel pain. And then after the fact, one thing that's really difficult that you usually don't address this, uh, Tori, is that you still, you still go through that emotional pain. And it may be a few hours later or maybe the next day, there's a new baby in there. And that to me is always such a tough psychological thing that I, that is always so hard that you walk in, you've had, you've had that baby, you've established that report of that baby for five, six, seven months. That baby is no longer there. You've got a new baby. There's a new family in there. You better go in with a smile. You better go in with a, Hey, how's it going? All right, let's go ahead. But you know, in your heart, oh man, I miss that baby. Yeah, it's it's kind of a crazy thought. And a little bit of, I think the NICU is an interesting unit. And especially when you're at these consult centers where you have potentially trauma situations daily and you literally are have to, you know, I've talked about this several times, zip a body bag and you got to keep going. And it's, it is kind of one of those things that I think we don't touch on or talk about enough. I do feel like it's really coming to the forefront and I do feel very lucky to work in a facility where a palliative care team is established and we have such great support systems. We have I think it's two nurses who lead it with an attending um, and also they just cover the basis and we debrief. And it's interesting because I think, you know, we used to think the high, I think that mindset of, you know, this is what we do moving forward and this is how it is. And now I think and I think it's, you know, slowly kind of caused a little bit of that burnout in people. And we're, we're realizing that we're seeing like, OK, you know, we this is how really to honor our patients and our families and to really like see it in ourselves. And, you know, I think it is important to have each other as well. I One of the best situations I had was um, we pulled a baby off of life support and we did the care with the family. And afterwards, um, we took a good solid 20 minutes and the whole team rounded and we really like we talked about it as a team and, you know, we sort of debriefed on everything and um, how I just felt very empowered and very thankful and very, um, it helped me really honestly to kind of continue on. And those are things that I think is important to really embrace in the NICU setting because we see it often, um, you know, and it's not often, but, you know, enough to where we should address it and hold it as providers, you know. Yeah, and and it's it is something that affects you. Uh, you know, you you may hear it from other folks. You know, how do you how do you deal with that? How do you how do you get so cold? To, and and you, you you know, I tell them the day I stop feeling, I don't want to do this anymore, because because it is it is the why we're so human and how we can have our our emotions out there that allows us to be great clinicians and and healthcare providers it is that reason when you're dealing with a baby you're not dealing with a set of arms and legs and a body no you're dealing with the person you're dealing with the individual and you're dealing with the family so it really you know it's it's important for us to be able to be honest and and let yourself you know out but like I said, we have type A personalities in the anatology and not everybody can do that. And that's okay. I've been in briefings 
where you've, you know, you got a few people are tearing and, and talking about this. And then another person's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I'm cool. And that's okay. That may be the way of grieving. And so, you know, it doesn't mean that everybody has to, you know, sing Kumbaya and, and hug and, and feel, the, again, I've been in grievance where I may have met the baby for 20 minutes. It just happened to be that the baby just was on the way uh, to, to, to right. passing as I come into my shift. And I, I need to be real. I, uh, you know, this is terrible, but I don't feel that same connection that I felt with the last time I was caring for a baby for four months. And so it's okay to be real and, and be yourself in a situation like that. What is something you want to myth bust about your profession? Uh, myth bust about it. Um, oh, that's a really good question. Let's see. I, I, yeah. I was going to actually, I think we kind of already talked about it, but, you know, I was just thinking that, you know, it is, it, it's, it, it isn't all sad. Actually, there's, there is, there is so much happiness to it, but, but now I just thinking about it, I can tell you it's nothing like Grey's Anatomy in that we have no time <laughs> to make out or, uh, or anything like that. <laughs> Go in a closet. I'm also not running to, uh, you know, do, you know, going down to the lab to run my own samples or, <laughs> you know, or doing my own surgical procedures. Very unlike Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> we very much like unlike it. Yeah. And it's a great show, by the way. I love it. But um, but yes, we, you know, we really we're very, very focused on what we do and we're very, very good at what we do. But one thing I actually uh I was talking to a resident the other day is that the the higher you go, the more comfortable you become not knowing and being uncomfortable. You know, it's okay to let go of the stuff you're not supposed to know. I, I, I don't know how to deal with an older, you know, lady that comes into the emergency room with a heart attack. It's been, you know, I know the basics. I would have to leave that to the real emergency experts, but I got to know my stuff really, really well. And then you become comfortable being uncomfortable because you get these situations in a delivery room. You had no idea that, you know, there's no prenatal care. You have no idea what's coming and it's boom, right there in front of you. And you've got seconds to make that decision. And at first you freak out. Uh, and then in time, in time, you, it, it is a little bit like the movies where time slows down a little bit. It's amazing how adrenaline works. Time slows down and you focus so well on the stuff that you know. So that's it. I don't know if it's a myth buster. But. I think that's a really interesting. Yeah, I actually 100% agree with that. When I'm precepting um, a new nurse, I feel like something that it's really hard to explain the idea of you need to get very good at the basics. And then from there, it's just sort of you start stemming and learning and you do you get much more comfortable with being uncomfortable or maybe more comfortable in and not knowing what's going to happen and just sort of understanding how to react to it. And that just takes time. It's just, but I agree. It's a big aspect of what we do because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what it, deliveries, you know, especially high risk, it could go any way and you don't know what you're going to be. You prepare for the worst and hope for the best. I love that. I, I use that saying all the time. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's an excellent one. Absolutely. Yeah. So I love going micro. We're going to go micro here. Let's do what it. does your day look like? Like what? Okay, you wake up. What do you eat for breakfast? 
What do I eat for breakfast? Okay, um, well, I actually, um, <clears throat> I hate to say it, but I don't. Uh, I, I have a... <laughs> oh, you fast. Okay, I am on. Yes, I am on the breakfast uh, fasting. I, I do the 16 to 8 hour fasting. So I'll eat uh, my last meal at 6 or 7 and then I'll go through the through the day, which is tough. Uh, I do, uh, sorry, I do have a black coffee. I, I, I take that back. I do have a, you know, black coffee in the morning. And then... Uh, then I don't really, you know, have have breakfast. I get up. I I get the the dogs. I walk the dogs. Uh, we make sure that the kids are dressed. And what time do you get up in the morning on your shifts? Oh, uh, usually six six thirty. Get up. Uh, my my wife gets up a lot earlier than I do. And actually, my daughter is is she's amazing now. She'll she'll sometimes make breakfast for us. Oh, that's awesome. And so yeah, get up, get in the shower, uh, have my black coffee, walk the dogs. And then uh, usually, depending on if I'm on service, my wife will take the kids to school. If I'm not on service and doing research, I have a little bit more time. And, and that, okay. you know, so I take the kids to school. What is your diet? What are you, what are you eating these days? I am I'm big, really big on fish. Uh, you know, it's, I, I love fish and I make a really good salmon dish of all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, just had salmon. So I, I usually combine salmon and quinoa are my uh, big um, uh, big uh, dishes. So I have that uh, with salad, uh, big big on uh, on all that stuff. So yeah, that's, that. that's uh, any type of fish, halibut, uh, tilapia. So what are your, I mean, as far as like workouts, what do your workouts look like on the daily? What are you doing? So I go to a gym uh, of a certain color. I don't know if I can say the, the, the name, but- Drop a name, it's fine. I, I'll drop the name Orange Theory. Uh, ah, I, I, <laughs> yes, I love that. Oh, it's so good. So yes, I definitely go a couple of times a week, and then the weekend, uh, and then I uh, train or I, I play tennis uh, a couple of times a week, and uh, that's it for my exercise. There's a lot of you know other family stuff, like I said, like kayaking or rowing or biking with the kids uh, so you're active active lifestyle oh absolutely that. i mean i love being outdoors and this is a great thing about being in, in in florida is that you know for the most part the weather's really really good so we get to go out a lot so i have a couple of rapid fire questions for you okay you can only answer one line or one sentence okay all right all right what's the hardest question a parent asks you when can i go home what's a favorite thing about your nurses they bailed me out of trouble all the time What's your least favorite part of your nurses? They question me all the time. (laughs) What? Okay, you're about to eat your last meal. What is it? Uh, uh, mm, mm. (laughs) Oh, God, that's such a good one. Chocolate ice cream, I guess. Ice cream. Okay, dessert. You're a dessert guy. Yes, very. (laughs) Okay, favorite cocktail to order? I don't Bailey's. I'm not. Okay. Yeah, I don't oh, really. Okay, you like it kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, favorite place you've traveled? Favorite place? Oh, Greece. Greece. Oh, what Santorini, Greece? Santorini Island. Oh. What do you pack in your lunch, or what do you are you a buy at lunch kind of guy for when you're at the hospital? I uh, we get. I go to the doctor's lounge, just kind of cheating. <laughs> they serve us food oh see there you go look guys no, so spoiled uh best piece of advice you can offer a parent in the NICU 
be an advocate and be present. Best piece of advice you can give a NICU RN or RT? Let me know how you really feel and, and, and so I can go with my plans. We can plan out together. And life motto? Life motto? Oh, hey, enjoy every day like it's your last. I love that. So something that I really was intrigued by you is uh, this world you're dabbling in with social media and talking about things as a NICU attending, which I think is fabulous. I've dabbled in some of your YouTubes. So how did this all start? Well, you know, it's, I've been thinking about it for about a year. It's, it's when you're in the NICU, you tend to get similar questions from a lot of parents because they're going through, you know, again, every parent and every situation is different, but a lot of the time, and it's funny, you hear from completely different cultures. As I mentioned, we get folks from all over the world and they have very similar questions. And so I kept on thinking there must be a way in which I can try and help out as many folks instead of one each time, each time just a, a set of families be able to really kind of help out as many people as I could. And initially I thought maybe writing a book, but that is so much work. That's a lot of work. So, yeah. <laughs> so oh my, my maybe God. in the future when I have a little bit more time, I'll be able to go there. So, you know, I, I, I really kind of, after looking and researching and everything, I realized, okay, you know, the, the social media, especially YouTube is a great place to be able to educate. But it's one of those things that I said, okay, yeah, next time I'm on service, next time I'm off, next time I'm off. And it really wasn't materializing. I started buying the equipment. It just never happened. And then, you know, the coronavirus has been terrible in so many different ways. But there is a little positive spin that sometimes you can put to this. There's always a silver lining. Yeah, There's always a silver lining. And, and to me, it was, okay, you know what? I'm having a little bit more time because there are certain things I couldn't do research anymore. They, they were basically, they stopped all the research because of the concerns for, for coronavirus. So I was at home uh, a lot more and I said, okay, this is the time to do it. I just had to jump in and do it. And, and boy, it was really nerve wracking to start with. It's weird, isn't it? It is, it is. I just, it's, it's so not natural to talk to a camera, like if it's your best friend. But, but once you do, you realize it's, it's so fulfilling, it's so exciting. And, and ultimately I'm doing what I've always wanted to do, which is educate and, and, and teach and help out and answer questions. So. I think it's such a cool thing this time we're in. There's quite a few. Um, I mean, there's doctors, NPs, PAs, you know, a lot of really great people starting to platform what they're doing, their specialties, explaining things. And I think it's so important because the reality is, is that's where people are nowadays, right? They're all on these platforms. Every single mom now in the NICU is, you know, she has her phone and they're, they're on their phone. And I think it's really cool to start, you know, going to where the audience is and to be able to speak to these things from the medical perspective and to make it relatable. So do you feel like you've always been a creative person? Because I feel like it's, it takes a creative person to do something like this. Well, uh, I am left-handed. <laughs> There's something to that, I think. You know, since I was a kid, I've just always been a little bit of a goofball and I was very extrovert. And so, you know, even through my training, even as a resident, there were times where I had some of the attendants say, hey, you know, tone it down a little bit. You're having a little too much fun. <laughs> so I, I, I specifically told myself, you know, when I get to be an attending, I actually want rounds to be fun. Actually, one thing that I do and that they know that they know me at, at my hospital for is I do actually when every morning when I'm working with the blue team, which is our, our resident team, I have to I do two movie quotes. 
a regular, you know, popular movie and then a Disney movie, and the residents have to guess the movie. Then on Fridays, they have to each come in with their movie quote, and I have to guess. I love movies and I love movie quotes. And so it's a great icebreaker. And, and I can tell you when, when I was a resident and going into training, going into rounds is the most scariest, nerve-wracking yes. thing of the whole day. I couldn't wait to be done with rounds. And I never understood why, but it is. It's just scary for a lot of trainees. So I remember just clearly thinking when I'm an attending, I, I want rounds to be actually fun and interactive and, and for people to feel okay to make mistakes because I'm there. I'm, I'm the net to try and help them so that if they do trip up, I can catch them because ultimately, again, it's all about safety to the patient. It's all about taking care of the family and the patient. So I'm it's okay to make mistakes. That's what I'm there for. But I want this to be fun. I feel very equally uh, from the nursing role. I feel, you know, we're in sort of a new wave. And I hope it continues of supporting our new nurses even more, especially right now during Rona. You know, this is just a, an exceptional time to be coming into nursing, you know, during a pandemic. But I do I agree with you. I think supporting, um, supporting people and making it more relatable. And, you know, just you know, really focusing on obviously the patient, but also, you know, how to make yourself the best provider you can be. And I think uplifting people in a good way is it's important. What's been the best part of moving into this social media space for you? To be honest with you, the response has been insane. I, you know, when I first posted the, 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 the video on YouTube, and then as I got into Instagram, it's, I've just never thought, there would be so many people really wanting to, you know, know more, to see more videos. I mean, I get, you know, messages constantly. Oh, I, can you post a video on this? I never thought I would get to that point. I, in fact, my first thought was, who's going to watch this? <laughs> I don't know if anybody's totally. going to watch this, right? You right. Know, but, but that's, you know, when, when, you, when you, there's some great people out there that are teaching you how to get into YouTube. And again, I can't name all of them because they're all amazing. But it, I watched those and everybody just said, just, just go there. Take that first step. If, if one person, if one family sees your video, you've made a difference. And that I, I have constantly. When I'm out there, it doesn't matter the number. It's just if it helps one family out in anywhere in the world or in, in the Kansas or wherever, you've, that's, what, that's, what you, that's what it's all about. That's why you started this. So keep it going. And so that's been just really surprising. The response has been amazing. What is your most popular video right now? Do you have one that's, that's just done really well that people really have been receptive to? Yeah, I had well the with everything with coronavirus, I've had a, a, you know several views on the topics of babies and coronavirus. Oh, interesting. Uh, you know, we did a little bit about rooming in, uh, a little bit about breastfeeding and coronavirus. So uh, I think that kind of the idea again, it it just goes with you know what we're living through right now. I think makes makes a difference, but. You know, then also through through Instagram, just doing the Instagram lives again. That's that's also been to me just a, a world that opened. I was invited by a family to do this. I didn't even you know really know much about it, and it's opened a completely different world, very different from YouTube. But it again, it's it's that social media just allows you to be normal and interactive, and you've yeah, got you know social. famous people going in there. And, you know, you've got The Rock talking to you. And I'm like, he's talking to me. He's talking to me. I know he's not talking to me. But yeah. but it just gives you that, you know, just wonderful 
feeling of the one-on-one and it and and so if I can educate and feel you know that I'm approachable and just a normal guy even though I am you know a doctor that that's that's the goal and I think Instagram does that so so well yeah it's interesting learning um about the platforms specifically and kind of what they do for you you know in return meaning like you know is this touching someone is it not um, to me, Instagram is such an immediate, you know, you get the you get the DM or you get the message or you get the reply. Um, whereas for me, moving into podcasting, it's interesting because um, I had I, I created an Instagram specifically for obviously the podcast because you don't always get that immediate reception, to be honest. And I it's interesting because um, but it, it in turn has really sort of shifted my amazing community into such a strong community because I really feel like when you're on a platform like such as you know a podcast or a YouTube and they're listening or they're seeing you for an extended period of time and they're really invested in you or your message or hearing what you have to say it really does it's such a benefit I mean for me I'm not as much of a big TikToker because it's so quick and I enjoy TikTok but I'm not on there as much but I like the longevity I like the evergreen material I like the that's kind of where my jam is and I think it's really interesting learning about each platform and what they do for other people as well as you and creating your little community it's it's no, great absolutely and and, it, and you speak to that community it, it, the NICU community is it's is, amazing it's, in, it's, amazing. it's I, amazing again you know you, you I, I know it from one-on-ones with the families and I'm you know very good friends with a lot of the families uh, the NICU graduates from my hospital but to actually see it on social media and some of the the you know just the, the families are so smart so you know you, I'm, I'm learning sometimes from them because of the stuff that they post I oh wow I never thought of, of that side of things it's it's incredible and so supportive. The fact that you have families that are taking their time to support other families, you know, they could just be, you know, okay, I'm out of the NICU. Thank God, never want to see this again. On the contrary, you have so many families that I've gone through something so difficult. How can I help the other families do that? And it's just really great yeah. to see that. It is interesting because, you know, for me, I primarily started in NICU and that is primarily my a big chunk of my community is the NICU community and I feel so lucky for that because you know there's a there's a lot of um you know you got two sides of social media a lot of a negative and I personally live I try to stay in my bubble and in the positive moment and I just love it I feel very lucky to have tapped into this and to have have the NICU community and to be able to teach and give back and to be able to bring on people like you and continue to do that I think it's it's amazing do you have um um, three tips that you can offer um, a mom or a dad or someone going through the NICU? Do you have three tips for them that you could offer as like an attending? Yeah, I would say, you know, number one, again, always be present. Uh, this is one of those, uh, it is scary to be in the NICU. And, and sometimes you feel like you have, you know, you, you don't want to be there because again, of how intimidating the place is. But I can tell you, and, and I, I'm sure, Tori, you know this as well, babies do better when the families are present, when they're there. And, and it, it, it's a comfort level thing. Some families really want to be on top of everything and absolutely know everything. Other families... 
just sit there in their chair for the whole day. And that's okay, it, it, whatever your comfort level is. But be present because it really does make a difference. And I would say with that, number two would be, you know, ask for control. One of the hardest things for a lot of families is feeling like they don't have any control in the NICU. We as healthcare providers need to do a better job at that because there is so much that families can do in the NICU. Uh, I've had, I've had a, a, you know, a dad who, you know, who was a musician would come in and, and actually play his music there at the bedside with the babies. You know, we've had singers. Even if you go in and I, we, we had this guy who was taking the, bo- the, the bar, he was a lawyer. And so he would just read his legal lingo. Obviously, yeah. the, baby, the baby's not understanding anything, but he was studying. And at the same time, just the fact that the baby could hear the, the dad's voice. So, you know, be, there are so many things that you can control within the NICU. And number three, just, you know, if you have questions, that's what we're there for. Ask your nurse, you know, where's the ne- nearest store? Uh, how do, where's the, you know, the milk bank? Like, be you know, really, really ask the questions because, you know, again, it's a scary place because it's an unknown. And then after a while, you'll actually begin to know and understand the lingo. You know, we tell the families all the time when they first come in, you know, this is this language. By the time you leave, you're going to be telling me, hey, can we go down on the CPAP and maybe, you know, remove the NG tube because I think we've already reached about the 85, 90%. You don't know what I'm talking about right now. You will, and it's and you see it all the time. And all the families say, you know, Dr. Ford, you're absolutely right. Now I know this stuff. I wish I never knew it, but you know, knowledge is power, and and it's all about empowering the families in the NICU. One tip I like to give, um, and this is also to NICU nurses, RTs, or anyone who works in the NICU, which is a great resource, and I actually didn't know about this more until recently, is the March of Dimes app. Um, which is kind of cool. And like you were saying, you know, giving power back to the families. This is actually an app that any any family can use and any any provider can recommend it. And they can, the parents can trend the weight on there. There's like, you can trend so they can put in the baby's weight and, you know, kind of track the weight. They can, um, moms can track their milk supply on there. Um, there's a lot of really interesting things. And I think that's a great tool because so much of what we focus on in the NICU is numbers and data. And, you know, it's it's kind of easy to let that go or as far as like, you know, we don't necessarily we know how we value it. But for a parent to feel like, OK, I can track this as well and kind of keep on tack it on top of it. The other thing I was going to say is if um, depending on the type of phone they have, I know you have an Android and I have an iPhone. We've talked about this, but on the iPhone, they have what they call a notes app. So I always tell parents, I'm like, you know, if you're home and you have a question in your head and you think about it, just write it down in your notes app and save it for the next day so you can ask the team. Um, because, and that's a way for you to feel empowered of like, okay, I'm on top of it. You know, I, you know, I am able to sort of get the, the stressors that I have, you know, across the team. So that's kind of a way for us to empower our families. And I think that's something that we as nurses can very easily do, you know, and, and as a team, I think it's important for us to relay that to empower our people too to support the families that way. So I, I love everything that you were doing. I think that you were just such a wealth of knowledge. What piece of advice do you have for upcoming MDs or healthcare providers, like a pearl of wisdom you can leave with them? Pearl of wisdom. 
you're going to learn all the medical stuff during medical school, during residency, all the book stuff. Don't worry about it. You freak out that you're, you'll never remember all the medicines and all that. You will. That medical part will actually come fairly easy in time. What you really want to focus is your relationships that you build during the time through your training, through your residency, and then once you're an attending, really focus on just being a human being. Because again, if you know the books really well and you're all robotic, it's not going to take you anywhere, especially in the intensive care unit. You really need to be able to just be yourself, be open, build your relationships, build your friendships, build, you know, if, if you build a relationship with a nurse, she'll let you sleep all night. Oh, did I say that? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but you that's know, that's the hope. Yes, the, I know, I know. I'm yeah, just kidding. Yeah, yeah. But but you know, really, don't worry about the medical part. Really, kind of focus on just being a human being as you grow, as you grow into being an attending, as you grow into being a physician. Whatever field you go into, is learn from the patients, learn from the families, learn from your relationships around. Those are the true, true. Uh, teachings that will take you very far. You will forget certain things in medicine. Don't forget the personal stuff. If you could turn back time to your future self, essentially, what would you, what would you tell yourself? Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one. What would I tell myself? That it's going to be all right. I know it sounds cliche, a lot of people, but I do remember going through certain parts of my training where I thought, I don't think I can make this. I don't think I can do this. This is really, really, really hard or I might not be able to make this. So I would go back to say, you know what? You will. It's going to be fine. So actually go to sleep. I once, and this is not recommended, I once stayed up four days straight without sleep uh, to be able to study for a test. I think I would have done fine if I just studied it for one day. So it is, it's, yeah, don't, don't pull yourself to the extremes because you will do okay. Thank you so much for coming on today. I, you are just this wealth of knowledge. And honestly, this is so timely because we're in September, which is NICU Awareness Month. And, you know, you and I, I feel like are so passionate about bringing this to everyone. And is there anything you want to touch on as far as September and NICU Awareness Month that you think is important for people to hear and understand well thank you tori again uh, you know to to it it honestly it's an honor to be you know invited uh, to be on your podcast i'm i'm i was so excited for this and it couldn't have gone you know any better it this is this was awesome you know the the one thing i you know would add is it's really going back to social media it is such a tool now for so many families when you come into the NICU, seek out social media, seek out the YouTube, seek out, seek out Instagram, where you have so many other families that are really trying to help out, where you can find the NICU community. Because the NICU community, we've said it already, is so strong. And some yes. of the feelings that you're having, others have gone through it. So seek out those other families seek out, you know, physicians, nurses, all these different mediums that will really kind of help you, you know, at least kind of a little bit to process a lot of the crazy stuff that happens in the NICU. It's interesting because um, recently I had a patient with a rare blood disorder and one of the attendings was saying, you know, there's lots of families out there who are, 
going through this and you know it might be a good idea to look at their blog or see what they're going through or ask them for tips and we actually find out about these resources like that we don't even know about like organizations that you know help support certain families with certain diagnoses or certain things and we're like oh my gosh I didn't even know that that was a thing so you know it's beneficial for us too because we learn about things about I didn't even know that that was an available resource to people so it's interesting because I you know we're learning so much about that and bringing able to bring people the help and support they need in that time is is awesome yeah support groups are extremely important it's what makes us human beings you know we are societal beings and so when you find yourself with such a terrible news it just helps to be able to reach out to people who may have gone through what the stages that you're going through and they can support you they can find and sometimes even you know supporting uh, with something that's extremely rare maybe even finding a, a, a specialist in another state that just really deals with that i've mm-hmm. like you said i've had ex- examples where a family has told me about a specialist of certain disease before i even had a chance to go in and look up who is the you know well known in this really rare genetic disorder or whatever it is so yeah yeah, social media is very powerful there's you know unfortunately like anything there are sites and there are things that are inaccurate so obviously always be careful not to believe 100% of what you read and that's where you should always of course yeah always go to your nurse your doctor to say hey look I read this stuff you know can you tell me a little bit more because there is some you know inaccuracies there are some incorrect information out there and that's where use your healthcare provider to be able to help you answer some of the the questions you may have. Before you leave, give us a useful tip, a resource, a Netflix, a podcast, a book that you have found value from for the listeners. Yeah, so um, obviously we're dealing with kids. So the American Academy of Pediatrics, so the AAP.org is a great resource to find out any information And right now, again, with coronavirus, you have the CDC and so on and so forth. So uh, there is, you know, that's for families. One of the things for trainees, a great, great book that I read, it was called The Intern Blues. And this was a book about the actual uh, situations of families. And I probably cried like three times in different scenarios. But it's as you're going in, especially for medical students or DO students, as you're going in training, it speaks to, again, that personal side that I, that I, uh, I tell you, it's really important to, to uh, be in tune with yourself because it will, you will be able to care better for your patient when you understand a little bit about the, the societal, the personal, the emotional part that goes in through caring for a sick child uh, than just the medicine itself. Okay, we're going to, I'll link that in the show notes because that's a good one. Definitely want to link that, so... All right. So where can everyone find you? Pimp yourself out. What platforms? Where where can everybody find you? Awesome. Well, thank you, Tori. So yes, I am on YouTube. If you search the NICU doc, N-I-C-U doc, and you, you'll find me there. My channel's there. I've got several videos. And I also have videos in Spanish. Para los que están eh, hablando o los que están escuchando y hablan español, también pueden ver eh, ahí en YouTube. Tengo mis videos en español. Tori, you, you're, 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 you're speaking, you, you told me, right? You're like fluent, so you're good. You understand. Ah, uh-huh, right? yes, yes, yes. I caught like 
five five words of no, that. No, you're good. You're good. I'm also on Instagram again. If you my my handle, you know, at the Nikki Doc. I'm also on Facebook at the Nikki Doc. So、uh, please find me again. I'm constantly every day posting stuff that's you know for the great majority it's educational. Just trying to teach families and residents and fellows on the YouTube channel, just educational stuff on Instagram, fun you know tidbits about the NICU, and then every now and then just some fun photos of me and my family just doing crazy things. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on today and blessing us with your time. I could not be more thankful, and I know that the NICU community as well. So. Again, Tori, it's been an absolute pleasure. And like you said, you know, from the get-go, we clicked so well. It's made this very conversational, just fun, you know, a good little chit-chat. And hopefully, for folks that are listening, you know, you're getting some information out of this too. And you want to find out more, you you know, look at each other's platforms to learn more. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Dr. Prem Fort, for coming on the show today. Many of you know this. This is my heart and soul. Being able to speak about the NICU community and all the amazing things we are doing here in the NICU space, and bring you resources and experts in the field like Dr. Prem for is just—it's such an honor to be able to do this. And honestly, to highlight all the things that. We face in the NICU and the dynamics. I think it's a really important part of what we do, and so therefore, I'm just I'm really excited about this. And a very special Happy September NICU Awareness Month to my entire NICU community. You guys, I just I feel very lucky to work in this amazing field and to be able to bring you people like Dr. Prem Fort. And so, if you guys are interested. Swipe up. I have linked his YouTube, his Instagram, all the amazing resources that we talked about throughout this episode. So make sure you check those out. And for all of my amazing selfie squad, thank you so much. I cannot even put into words what you mean to me and this community means to me. And you guys know this: if you head over to iTunes and you rate and review the show, I want to hear what you thought. I want to hear specifics, like what part of this episode did you learn from? Who do you want to hear from? Get very specific. I want to know details. And when you do that, if you leave your Instagram handle in the review, I'm going to be sending over some super cute stickers and our selfie badge reel featuring Selena, our selfie icon. Make sure you are following us over on Insta at C E L. L F I E underscore podcast. Make sure you are hitting that subscribe button. Subscribe, 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 and you can find all of our episodes on www.tipsfromtory.com. You guys swipe up these show notes. They're loaded up with information about our guests and, of course, our amazing sponsors. And thank you guys for listening today. You have no idea how much this means to me, and I cannot wait to bring you more selfie shows. Catch you guys next time.